0: Once. Now throwing long down the left side, Slaughter has it, he's going in for a touchdown! Right. The, won the game! Burning! Burning! Burning!
1: Burning! Throwing deep down the left side, Slaughter is over! And that brings us to Hugh Jackson, because when you look at certain coaches and you wonder if there is a hot seat, it might not be as hot as we might think that it should be. Um, I'm not going to say the rest of the season, but I know he's a guy right now. I mean, I hope he is. I hope there's no more, you know, times that we got to take him out and and, and let him reset himself. And the bigger question is, when will that win in 2017 happen? I just know he was gonna play again. I told all of you that, well, he's playing this week. And I'm um, looking forward to watching him play. Hopefully the lessons are learned and uh, we'll grow from there. So you look at what they did a week ago, didn't show up against the Houston Texans. Again, I'm gonna say it again. We're talking about a young quarterback, who's 21 years old, who's learned the National Football League, and he's wearing a lot of different hats. And I thought it was the right thing to do. As a matter of fact, I know it was the right thing to do a week ago. And um, and I think we'll be better for it. I think he'll be better for it. and hopefully we'll see the growth from him taking a week off last week.
0: My DBN brothers and sisters, I'm a Browns fan. on the bandwagon with a little bit of elbow room. My name is thelonious Seven, and you are listening to Straight No Chaser on the DBN Network. I was telling you about that Jets game being the last chance for the Browns to keep the tides of negativity at bay. I mean, it's pretty bad now, but believe me, it could still get worse. Here's to hoping that we can keep it together. I pray that this works, and me personally, I'm personally bought into this process. I'm bought in to the whole H3 experiment. It would take a lot for me to willingly walk away from this project. We as an organization, as a team, as a fan base are heavily leveraged into this process. Walking away from this now, I I just, I don't think, I don't see how that could happen right now. And I'm also not sure that Jimmy Haslam can walk away from this either. If he quits now, something catastrophic could happen. He's going to end up alienating his hardcore fans of his team. In Cleveland, that is really not an easy thing to do. I mean, the NFL is set up for parity like no other league in sports. You want to talk about analytics. Look at the trajectory of this team and the win totals of the last five years. It was three. We had the seven-year spike at the end of Chud's era as we went to the Pettin' era. And then after another three-win season, a one-win season, and now Nothing. Nothing thus far in the 2017 campaign. This is a pretty bad looking trajectory, but what's the one thing you could associate with these win totals over the last five years? Jimmy Haslam. Is this just circumstantial? Is it unlucky? Or is it starting to be clear what really needs to change? The whole H3 team was founded on a principle of organizational unity. Why? Essentially, H3 is a reactionary measure. It's due to the incompetency of the previous era and coaches and front office feudings and scouts and business people. Really, if only they could just work together, everything would be much better. That was the whole idea uh, behind the H3 uh, incarnation. Haslam thought, hey, I'm just going to bring in a talent evaluator, a strategy guy a coach and put them under a benevolent capologist Sashi Brown a selfless consensus builder who can make sure that it all runs like clockwork and it got to be fair here fair here i'm bought in i believe this was an appropriate way to proceed and i still believe that the brown should continue on this path however it's starting to become clear that as much as we want, want to keep this group in place there might not be enough tape at the 3M factory to keep this thing together. And if this falls apart collectively as fans, we will not be able to ignore the singular cause for this organization's futility, and that cause is Jimmy Haslam. Now please, understand what I'm saying. I am not going after Jimmy Haslam. I'm not going after that guy. I believe that he truly wants this organization to be a winner, and I think that he is racking his brain using all of his energy to do what he believes will bring a winner to the city of Cleveland. But has stated that he is learning how to do this on the job and he didn't realize what a learning curve uh, would look like, how much of a learning curve it would actually be for him to bring the city of Cleveland a winner. And you want to talk about learning curves for a second. They're a real thing. Yeah. It's embodied in a saying like, you know, an easy lies the head that wears the crown. I mean, you wouldn't think it would be that hard. I mean, I used to work at this place where I was you know just a worker. And then at some point I did my time and I got my chance for promotion. And I was like, ah, this is, this is going to be easy street, right? And in a way, it's true. It was better. And in that management and in a management position, you don't have to do the grunt work that you have to do in, you know, a typical layperson position. But at the same time, I don't think I understood what that job was going to be like. It's a completely different skill set than what I was used to and being good at my previous job essentially qualified me for the position but it took me a good six months to feel comfortable balancing all the aspects of working in that position and probably two years before I felt good there. And Jimmy Haslam also is learning. He's learning all right. He's learning how much he didn't know about running an NFL franchise. I mean, me... I was managing a 30-person program, and when I messed up, I could probably hide it, sweep it under the rugs. But Jimmy Haslam owns the Cleveland Browns. He makes a mistake, he does something less than optimal, and everyone sees it. Not only that, but those mistakes don't just hurt him or the people involved. His bad moves hurt the entire greater Cleveland area. And are echoed by sports media and laughed about by the four letter network and all the other national pundits. I can only imagine how much pressure that is and how hard it is to learn with that much scrutiny. Eventually you start to realize that you're spending as much or more of your energy on mitigating the effects of the scrutiny and the pressure of the scrutiny scrutiny, that the scrutiny brings as much as you are on the actual problem that you're in fact facing. really, when you look uh, behind the curtain of what the factory of sadness actually is. It's it's funny because as much as we lament or complain about it, Cleveland's this factory of sadness. This is a crucible that's actually uh, something that the fans create themselves. It's really difficult for any sports person to operate under the heavy pressure of all this unrequited hope in the Cleveland area. It's challenging for the athletes and the organizations. And as an aside, it shows just how truly remarkable and unbelievable it was for LeBron James to win a championship in Cleveland. I can't believe it actually happened. It took an otherworldly performance by two of the greatest athletes ever to play in Cleveland. Which reminds me, man, watching Kyrie in green was perhaps one of the most heart-wrenching things I've seen. And I was thinking that right up until I saw Hayward's freak injury, and then suddenly I was reminding of the human cost and our consumption of the sports spectacle. But, uh, you know, with all this stuff, really, you need perspective, right? You got to have perspective to truly understand what it is that you're seeing. It's so easy to get caught up on one aspect or on one decision. And as much as we want to get down on or demonize or condemn the actions of Mr. Haslam, you realize that Jimmy Haslam is just a dude in a hard situation that's just trying to do his best. It's just a dude. It's just him and his wife. I mean, I made eye contact with her one time and honestly, maybe she's actually a little bit more like a queen, but he's just a dude and really she's just a lady and even queens are people too, right? But if I had five minutes in a room with Jimmy Haslam, this is what I would tell him. This is what I would say. I would say this. Bro, Jimmy bro Jimmy you're a billionaire you have billions of dollars and that is why you're able to join the exclusive club of NFL owners Jimmy the NFL is a straight-up racket you have a salary cap you have TV revenue sharing you have fans who have proven for years that they will loyally consume Truly and often unbelievably awful football. The only way, the only way that you could mess it up would be for you, Mr. Haslam, to concern yourself in any way, shape, or form with football operations. Literally, the learning curve that you are going through, Mr. Haslam, can be shortened when you realize that you don't have to actually learn anything at all to be an incredibly profitable owner of an NFL franchise as an owner your main concern should be to earn as much money as you can your job is to rake money in from the local populace and not to tell us about it keep it to yourself Shh. but bro as the owner you should not be learning how to run the football part of your franchise You should be spending time learning how to maximize concession prices and gouging folks in the muni lot. The secret is, don't think at all about football. That's what I would tell Jimmy Hazel if I could talk to him. Don't think about football. It's not about football for you. But he's been thinking about football way more than it's necessary. I mean, he's become a sort of meta GM owner slash president kind of a guy. But actually, I don't think that Haslam has done this on purpose. On one level, I think he should be content to let the football people run things. And I would say that at the very beginning, when he first hired Banner, I think he would have been content to let Banner run all the football things. And he could have just like stayed on the side with Treiner and did all the business things on the football, on the uh, business side of the organization. That would have been fine for him. What happens when your president, GM, czar, Joe Banner decides to fire coaches after the first year? What happens when the reputation of your organization goes down the tube with some of the things that Banner's been doing? You have to act, right? Yeah, you do, don't you? I mean, you can't let Banner and Lombardi soil the name and the reputation of the Cleveland Browns in the league standing, correct? Correct. So when he did this, when he got his hands dirty in uh, sorting through and dealing with the issues that were related to, to Banner and uh, Lombardi back after the Chud firing season and brought in uh, Farmer and Petten, he got his hands dirty. He allowed those guys to fire a coach and brought in uh, a feudal coaching surgeon. And after that, this has all kind of been on his record and pretty much has been his responsibility. And he has done what he could to correct it. I mean, I really believe that every time this situation gets a reboot, he's doing his level best to make it better. But ever since Banner, he's kind of had kind of a de facto role at the top of his football flowchart. But what can he do now? Hasm has a couple of choices. Well, he could stay the course with the people uh, who he has on board and allow them to grow in the positions. He could also use the apprentice approach and try to fire all the problems away. Or he can do some hybrid of both. But in a way, all of these choices, all of these things that he could do are actually fake choices to me. If I were talking to Haslam, I'd recite a verse to him uh, from the Dao Te Ching where Lao Tzu really tells him some good advice for what he can do in this situation. And that is to give up learning and put an end to your troubles. You never have to learn What you don't need to know. Literally, all Haslam has to do is nothing. And by nothing, I mean he needs to stop worrying about winning and losing. Because to him, it truly does not matter. You know who it does matter, the winning and losing to? The ones who it does matter to are you and me. We're the fans. It matters to the city of Cleveland who wins or loses. It matters to the players who are putting their bodies on the line on a day-to-day basis who wins and loses. And it matters to the coaches. We are the ones who the winning and losing affects most directly. But you know who it shouldn't matter to? It shouldn't matter to our front office. They're doing their jobs in a way where they don't actually care about actually winning or losing. I mean, I think they do in a global sense, but in a game-to-game sense, no. No, no, no. It's not important for them. They are concerned with the process of optimal roster construction. And in this sense, I would say that they're on the cusp of putting together a pretty good roster. The roster they put out next year should be a lot better than this year because of all the resources they have. And additionally, they have another year of experience. I think that they improved a great deal in the way that they improved the team from year one to two. And I think that going into the next offseason they'll even have another year of experience to do better. I would say however that the front office does have a couple of lessons to learn and hopefully during the process of the next year they'll find a way to get to it. I think they have a lesson to learn about acquiring quarterbacks. But in some ways I don't think this is the lesson that people think about. I'm not going to sit here and second guess the pick of Miles Garrett. But I would say that in every case. The Browns have, in some way, not realized a weakness in their draft strategy. You know, for them to draft, drafting is kind of like playing a game of uh, a tournament game of poker. But when you're drafting, people uh, use poker metaphors even to describe the process, so it kind of makes sense to do it like this way. They'll say that, like, during the drafting process, you kind of want to keep your cards close to the best, and and poker, that's like a, a main thing. You don't want people to understand what you have, what you're thinking. But when the Browns draft, it's like they're picking with an open hand with this big need of a quarterback that they have. When everybody knows exactly what they need when they're on the clock, their positioning ends up setting the market for the value of the selections just ahead and just behind them. It happened uh, in 2016 with the whole Brissett and Cody Kessler thing. And I know that's something that's kind of a rumor, but in my opinion... I think it happened that the Browns felt like they could sit back, take Brissett uh, with the pick that they had taken Kessler in. But in the end, Brissett goes a few picks ahead of them. And then, all of a sudden, they're left with just Kessler and then some other guys. And, of course, one of the guys was uh, the dude out of Dallas. But, you know, they I, I personally believe the guy they wanted was Brissett, And in the end, they end up with Kessler because they didn't really... Understand the fact that people know they're going to be going for the quarterback at this point, and the same thing happened this year with Travisky and Mahomes. Particularly, Mahomes is the one I'm thinking about because they could use their resources and move up to make sure that they have a, a prospect that they really like. But instead, they kind of let the market come to them, and in the end, they don't get the players that they really want or value at these positions. And I think it's a problem that they have to do going to next year's draft, thinking about you know, you know who knows what they're going to be taking and who's going to be taking around them and. Maybe next year it's not going to be a problem because they should be in the pole position yet again. But who knows? All I know is that losing makes a huge part of the front office's job a lot more easy. Not that you want to project an air of tanking. But Sashi really shouldn't be so concerned about anything uh, that makes the roster. Well, Sashi shouldn't worry about anything about but making the roster better for whoever the coach is. And if if it's easier to do that with losing, it shouldn't be a big concern for Sashi, uh, moving forward. Right now, I'm hoping that coach is Hugh Jackson, and I'm hoping he can find a way to win this game, this Sunday, with an an imperfect roster at the time being. For the Browns, this Sunday against the Titans at home, I want to see if we can see, uh, uh, some more of the same of what's been going wrong, or if they find ways to correct those things that are wrong, and, 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 um, mask the deficiencies of weakness in their team. We know where the weaknesses are. How much better can we get going into this week? The D of the Titans uh, had an awful time this year, and uh, in the end, Kaysen Williams, Bryce Twaggs, they can do something special against this defense. How are we going to use Njoku and the Duke? We got to run. This is the week for Crow to break out. On defense... I'm almost looking exclusively at Kai Nakua. I mean it doesn't have to be Kai Nakua, but I don't think I can watch Pepper's stink again covering in space. Maybe they could put Jamie Collins back there, right? Yeah. And I man would really probably just bring in Nakua, right? There's no way I could pick a winner this week for the Browns. Uh after watching this week though, I think I'll be able to start to see how likely a winless season uh could be for us. I went back and watched the game last week. And I came away from him with the experience uh, of feeling a lot worse about Kevin Hogan, but actually feeling better about the Browns team the second time I watched the game. The pass catchers have gotten a lot better. The run game was a lot better. And the defense as a whole, minus Peppers, showed uh, a lot of improvement. The game really turned on Hogan's pick six. There are really some other bad plays, but Watson was not as good as his height. And obviously, he shows more promise than anything we've seen in Cleveland in quite some time. But he made his mistakes. He got credit for that TV pass to Miller, which wasn't really a real pass. And he could have thrown multiple picks if it wasn't for some lucky plays uh, by his offensive players who played defenders. The game was definitely not a close game. And don't make don't, don't misconstrue this is what I'm saying. But I also think that a win might be closer than it seems at this point. A lot has to go right. So if you plan on watching this team, make sure you do it with your inebriative substance of choice close at hand. I know I will. And with that, we can put this one in the books. Thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to make time for this and all of the shows at the DBN Network, a part of your day. And if you think of it, drop us a line in the comment section to show your love or to voice your displeasure as your feedback will help us both to become better fans. Well, that was your dose of the straight truth. You've been listening to Straight No Chaser. I am your host, the 7 on the DBN Network. Take care. Gossett is kneeling in the
1: 17, 37-yard attempt to kick his off. It is good. The Browns have won the game. The Browns have won the game in double overtime, 23-20, and the stadium is gone for certain.
0: My name is Spencer Hall. My name is Jason Kirk. My name is Ryan Nanny. It's not Voltron.